This is a message for those that work in manufacturing across the UK and Ireland. Do your engineering maintenance stores keep you awake at night? Are your engineers spending excessive time sourcing and finding the spare parts they need? Eric's on-site teams take responsibility for your indirect supply chain, including both your MRO procurement and inventory control. And, as the name suggests, we do this while being based on your site. For more information, visit www.erics.co.uk forward slash em. This episode of Engineering Matters is supported by The Optimistic Outlook. The Optimistic Outlook is a great listen for fans of Engineering Matters. It is a podcast for anyone intrigued by innovation across sectors, whether you're in healthcare, infrastructure, energy or beyond. The show is hosted by Barbara Hampton, CEO of Siemens USA, and offers invaluable insights relevant and impactful for all industries. I think what you're really going to like is that Barbara Hampton is not just a CEO, she's a thought leader in the corporate world. In the podcast, you often learn from her journey to the top of Siemens USA, getting invaluable lessons on leadership, decision-making, and navigating the complexities of the modern workplace. Barbara brings a wealth of knowledge, not just about manufacturing, but about its ripple effects across all sectors. Her perspective illuminates how manufacturing innovations are setting the pace for changes in healthcare, infrastructure development, energy sustainability, and more. Regardless of your industry, the optimistic outlook is a source of motivation and forward-thinking ideas. Barbara's expertise in connecting dots between manufacturing and other sectors reveals actionable strategies for innovation and leadership in any field. We invite you to explore the optimistic outlook and join a broad audience that values transformative ideas, including us. Search for the optimistic outlook wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to this first episode of a series looking at the shortlisted entries to the Engineering Matters Awards. These 12 episodes will run six days a week over the next two weeks. The awards will demonstrate why engineering matters. We'll be sharing some exciting innovations and we'll be looking at a range of ways engineers and those in related fields can have a wider impact on the world. We'll consider how the sector can engage with communities we will see how engineers and their business can help build diversity, equity and inclusion. And we will learn about new ways of keeping workers and the public safe and healthy. We will find out about how engineers can protect the planet. We'll see how they can support sustainability and environmental responsibility. And we will learn how ideas developed by engineers are contributing to net zero goals. Many awards in the sector focus on individual construction or engineering projects. They rank these against each other like competitors in a race. We wanted to do something a little different. The awards are not just open to individual companies, projects and product launches, but to institutions and to organisations with a shared mission. We have assessed each category against a broad range of criteria. You can read about the criteria for each category on the awards website listed in the show notes. The winners of bronze awards will have performed well against some of these criteria, 
the gold champions will have demonstrated their excellence across a wide range of criteria. Many ideas don't achieve their fullest potential in their first year, so we may see entries that have been shortlisted or won a bronze award this year win a silver or gold in future years. We received an astonishing number of entries in this first year of the awards, and we hope you enjoy learning about these shortlisted entries. And now, on to our first episode. How can engineers work with communities to develop new uses for some of our oldest building materials? Around 35% of the world's future construction over the next 30, 40 years is going to take place on the African continent. What's most significant is raising awareness. Yeah. Um, it's changing behaviours, uh, changing mindset. We need to be able to provide and equip people with the knowledge and information for them to better understand and, and perhaps change their mindsets with regards to this material. How can they bring people together to share their experiences and build a more diverse workforce? Together we support each other, we understand each other. I'd like to hope that perhaps the work we're doing is giving people confidence to be clearer about what they need. It is just getting people information that helps them realise it's actually really easy to be inclusive. How can we open up the high seas to anyone who wants to work there? So if you take away the medical requirement that you have to go offshore, that then opens the door to other people. Within the marine industry, there's a 98% gender diversity gap. It's only 2% of seafarers are women through the transition to remote operations. I'm quite hopeful that that starts to encourage more women into the industry as well. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Johnny Dowling. And I'm Rian Owen. This episode is one of a series that will be airing over the next two weeks introducing the shortlisted entries for the Engineering Matters Awards. In this episode, we're going to look at the three shortlisted entries for the Diversity and Inclusion Award. We all work better when we all work together, but many people are not given the chance to develop and contribute their skills. Sometimes tangible barriers prevent people from contributing as engineers, Sites can be hard to access for people with mobility issues. Working hours can put off those with caring responsibilities. Promotion policies can hold back those who have taken time off to parent a young family. Local schools may not teach the right skills for an engineering career. Other barriers are less tangible. A recruiter's prejudice can stop them seeing a candidate's full potential. Those who might be able to make a contribution as engineers can fail to see a place for people like them in the industry. The Engineering Matters Diversity and Inclusion Awards recognise organisations and projects that have helped open the industry to a wider range of employees. Let's look at this year's shortlisted entries. Build X Studio was shortlisted for their Mass Timber initiative. EKFB were shortlisted for their Working with Hidden Disabilities concept. And Fugro were shortlisted for their Pegasus USV.
BuildX Studio is a design and build architecture studio based in Africa, which aims to take an innovative approach and commitment to environmental and social impact. They prioritize human-centered design, environmental performance, functionality, and local resources, demonstrating their commitment to social and environmental responsibility. BuildX Studio have been nominated for the Environment, Sustainability, Net Zero, and Community Champion Awards, as well as in the diversity category. Yeah, so my name is James Mitchell. I'm the CEO and co-founder of BuildX Studio. Uh, we're a architecture uh, and engineering design company based in Nairobi, Kenya, that specializes in lowering the embodied carbon of buildings uh, in this part of the world, uh, in particular through advanced wood engineering and timber and natural material buildings. Buildings in construction currently account for almost 40% of global carbon emissions uh, worldwide. And of this, a big, uh, a big chunk of it comes from embodied carbon, which is the carbon associated with the materials and construction methods that we use to create our buildings. Embodied carbon is the hidden carbon footprint trapped in materials and construction before a building even operates. It includes emissions from mining, manufacturing, transporting and assembling those materials. Within that embodied carbon, two materials alone account for the majority of um, our current building footprint, and that's uh, concrete and steel. Now, this is an issue because most of our buildings are still made from concrete and steel, particularly in this part of the world uh, where I'm based in, in Kenya. We have a rapidly growing population, meaning that around 35% of the world's uh, future construction over the next 30, 40 years is going to take place on the African continent. While concrete boasts high strength and accessibility, its main ingredient, Portland cement, is a major carbon emitter. It's responsible for roughly 8% of global emissions. Strong but thirsty for energy, steel packs a punch in embodied carbon. While emissions are slightly lower than concrete per kilogram, its intensive production process adds up. Due to concrete's low cost and durability, it makes it hard to replace completely. Both materials offer major opportunities for improvement. Low carbon alternatives for cement and recycled steel are paving the way for greener construction. And one of those alternatives and, and among the most promising is timber. And in many ways, timber as you might know it, uh, sawn wood from commercial forests, uh, but a new engineered form of wood uh, which has emerged over the last few decades called mass timber is enabling us to build much larger buildings, to build urban buildings with timber in a way which is structurally safe um, and safe from, a, uh, from other perspectives, including fire. One of the first types of mass timber was officially patented in France in 1985. However, the first patent resembling cross-laminated timber was filed in the US in the 1920s. A mass timber essentially is an umbrella term for a group of engineered timber products um, that use smaller pieces of, of timber, like a, a sort of normal timber plank, um, and they glue or otherwise bond those together in cross directions to create much larger or massive pieces of wood uh, that can perform very differently to a, a simple two by four, for example. And cross laminated timber is one type of material under this umbrella term. So we can see world market leaders 
like many of the Scandinavian countries, some other European markets as well, North American market uh, and so on, that are really leading the way uh, with mass timber and have built buildings now that are uh, many stories high, 20, 30 odd stories. In East Africa, it's definitely very new. There is some mass timber manufacturing in South Africa. Uh, so the continent, it's not entirely new to the continent. But in Kenya and East Africa, it's a very, very new concept. There's already a couple of buildings built in uh, Tanzania and Zanzibar. There's a couple of demonstration structures now, one of which created by ourselves at BuildX in Nairobi. Um, and we're now beginning to move to the next stage of planning um, some fairly serious and large scale permanent buildings uh, that would be a pioneering project for this material. Regionally, East Africa has a sufficient wood supply. With better land use for commercial forests, projected demand could definitely be met. Environmentally, mass timber may be a better solution due to its properties as a carbon store. From a carbon perspective, uh, when trees grow, they sequester carbon from the atmosphere. And that carbon is stored within uh, the wood of the, the tree. And when we harvest that tree, that carbon remains locked away in the wood. It's only released if we were to burn it or allow it to rot and decay. So if we're able to produce uh, buildings or, or products from, from the tree that can then be put into buildings and last for a very long time, I think a huge part of the work uh, that we're doing is not just technical. Um, if anything, the technical part is relatively straightforward. What's, what's most significant is raising awareness. Um, it's changing behaviors, uh, changing mindsets. And this is why the initiative has been shortlisted in the diversity and inclusion category. The company aims for all of its projects to be inclusively designed and built. It conducts market research and applies participatory design strategies. It prioritises providing labour opportunities for women and youth within the communities where they work. In an industry where globally women are underrepresented, BuildX says that it employs at least 30% women on all of its sites through local community engagement in collaboration with its sister company, Build Her. We need to be able to provide and equip people with the knowledge and information for them to better understand and, and perhaps change their mindsets with regards to this material. And then ultimately, we need to show that there's support. Um, and I think awards go a long way to backing and, and giving credibility to new ideas and to to, to innovations that can change the way that we work. National infrastructure projects like HS2, a high-speed railway currently being built in the UK, can offer large-scale boosts to a country's economy. But they can also have impacts on a more local and individual level. EKFB is one of the joint ventures working on HS2. They're delivering some of the biggest components of the project but they are also focusing on the needs of their team members with hidden disabilities. EKFB consists of Vifage, Kia, Ferrovial and BAM. It developed its approach to hidden disabilities in partnership with the Hidden Disabilities Sunflower Scheme. The programme aims to provide support and awareness for employees with non-visible disabilities. Together we support each other, we understand each other and with a lot of strengths that come from that. And we have other members within the company that identifies having disabilities, be them visible, hidden, uh, neurodivergencies, or sometimes even caring 
for other members of the family that have these things. We all get together about once a month, we have a good chat about things that we think is important or isn't being recognised in the company at that point. And then we annoy people till it gets fixed. <laughs> well, we do the best we can. We, we've had um, some really good guest speakers on board who have helped us uh, really open up dialogue within the company and get things going. A colleague over at our parent company, at HS2, uh, actually worked with us as a one of the joint ventures building it. And we did a digital accessibility um, episode, which was actually hugely well received. And it talked a lot about how everybody has a responsibility to help others and get those things going. And that again followed up other things. There was a gentleman in the company who works with some of the ICE graduates in one area. So he's now making it a standard thing that they have to listen to and take on board as they join. So it is just getting people information that helps them realise it's actually really easy to be inclusive. That was Victoria Hingley, a Skills, Employment and Education Coordinator at EKFB. She has lived experience of many of the issues employees can face, taking steps to overcome anxiety as she works publicly to promote inclusion. She is focused on promoting women in construction and on the needs of neurodiverse children and adults. My official title for my work role is a Skills, Employment and Education Coordinator, which essentially means I do all of the school engagement and activity for my company, which is amazing and great fun. I also am the co-chair and founder of our Ability Affinity Network, which is essentially a disability network for all of the peers across the whole of the project that I work upon. The EKFB Sunflower membership provides a number of benefits for employees with hidden disabilities. Staff are given access to a range of learning resources and support tools. They can signal their hidden disabilities to colleagues with Sunflower lanyards and cards. The programme provides training for line managers and colleagues. A network of Sunflower champions can provide support and advice. And EKFB has committed to make all workplaces accessible and inclusive. Victoria explains why these steps are so important. Based on what the disability statistics are in the country, I mean, there's one in six people roughly across the country will have a disability of some form. 82% of the disabilities are acquired through life. People, they're not ones that people are born with. Yet in industry, uh, which is construction for us, the national, um, the general average of people uh, declaring they're a disability is only 4%. So people aren't, confident enough to open up with that. We did see a difference in reporting on the EDI statistics where we have our very vague general report that goes out and asks a few questions each year. Just before our network started people the disclosure rate was three percent and the last count it was ten percent. So I'd like to hope that perhaps the work we're doing is giving people confidence to be clearer about what they need because it doesn't make many less and it actually if we know as a company what somebody needs to support them, then there's no reason why we can't do that. Companies can significantly contribute to the preparation of special educational needs send students for the workforce through a variety of supportive measures. Companies can also conduct career workshops and mentoring programmes, providing guidance and exposing students to different career paths. Donating technology and resources can enhance the learning experience, equipping students with the tools necessary for modern workplaces. 
Beyond direct educational support, companies can engage in awareness and advocacy campaigns to promote inclusivity and break down employment barriers for individuals with special needs. Creating inclusive employment policies demonstrates a commitment to hiring and supporting individuals with special needs. Offering internships and work experience tailored for these students helps them gain practical skills and confidence in a real-world setting. Another avenue of support is collaborating with SEND schools in curriculum development, ensuring that the education provided is relevant and aligned with industry needs. We realised that um, work experience for SEND students doesn't really seem to exist. Often, outreach just means inviting students to come and look around an office or project. Victoria wanted to do more. So I said, we're not doing that. We're starting a programme. So we, instead we have, um, it's a five week programme that we do it on. And for 90 minutes to two hours a week, students come to us and we work through different modules, so to speak. So it might be uh, interview techniques and CV writing. But the aim is that the students come out a lot more confident at the end of it and realise just how much they have to offer to companies because they, most companies would be lucky to have them but they're overseen because schools don't always want to support work experience or trips for send students because they're a bit of an unknown entity what will happen on the day so you need to be as a business prepared to take that in. Getting other stakeholders and partners to understand this programmatic approach to inclusion has taken effort and some frustration but Victoria's work is now beginning to pay off. But we've had some really good support from different companies who have helped us for um, the final session, which is always a, a more engaged physical trip. So, for example, Speedy Services invited us to their innovation centre in Milton Keynes. And um, we took students there for a day. They got to have a good tour, have a look at things, have a go with certain things while they were there. And I know that I've, since that point, Speedy have offered apprenticeships out and have specifically looking into the SEND field to offer apprenticeships post-school and also work experience directly to work with them in a way that they understand will suit that student. So it's really lovely to see that once somebody's engaged with it and realised it's not as hard as it seems. I think for me, the important thing I think really is understanding that it's not about yourself, it's about other people and trying to create that change. Change comes over time. So the idea of the Blue Essence is that essentially for, for the work that it can do, you're generally talking about like a 120 metre DP2 vessel. And you're talking about tons of fuel a day in order to operate that. So what we what we can now do is with the Blue Essence, we can essentially do about 90% of the work of that vessel with a 12 metre boat that runs on litres of fuel a day. So you're talking about a 95% reduction in the CO2 emissions. There's also, due to the size, like the size um, reduction, there's less interaction with the marine environment as well. So, it, you know, the, the, the interference with the marine environment is reduced as well because the noise of the propellers, because the propellers are smaller, is lower. The ROV that we're using has no hydraulics on it, so it's fully electrical. So the risk of um, environment, the environmental risks from that are also reduced as well. If there's an incident where you know something goes wrong and it, it, there's, there's a, an issue at sea, so that's sort of like the big sustainability issues. 
Ross McFarlane, as the Remote Operations Centre Manager at Fugro, is helping to transform offshore operations. His primary work is the day-to-day -day management of the company's Remote Operations Centre. He works on implementing innovative technologies and advocates for new methods of operation with clients. Fugro's use of uncrewed surface vessels, or USVs, and remotely operated vehicles, or ROVs, helps make offshore operations safer and cleaner. But these approaches will also help transform offshore workforces and its team members' working lives. The company's work on this project has been shortlisted in the Net Zero, Health and Safety, and Environment Champion categories. From the other side of it, from the people side, we're now bringing them into a remote operations centre and they work on... It almost turns an offshore job into a normal job for them so they can have a kind of normal home life. The, 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 it's, it's a bit multifaceted, so if you look at the Aberdeen team, they generally try to hire people that work in the uh, that live in the vicinity so they can go home at night. I'll work in the Dubai Rock where that's not so much an option for me because you know it's an expat workforce, but the benefit to my team is that they have a fixed two-month rotation. So in a sense, so they can they can plan their life which they could never do before because it was always dependent on you know client requirements when the vessel was actually going to go to shore so there's those sort of personal benefits and then because we're also removing it from the offshore environment it opens the door the new approach makes it easier for workers who are on long shift patterns to maintain a predictable schedule and focus on their family lives the use of remote operations opens up the offshore sector to those who would not previously have been able to work out at sea on a boat. So if you take away the medical requirement that you have to go offshore, that then opens the door to other people that maybe for some reason couldn't pass the medical to go offshore, but are still fit and capable to work. So we can they can now sort of fulfill that you know goal by working in a remote operations centre that we can make accessible. Within the marine industry, there's a 98% gender diversity gap. It's only 2% of seafarers are women. Hopefully, through the transition to remote operations and providing an environment where there is that flexibility to be able to go home at the end of the day, to not have to be stuck on a ship away for months at a time, I'm quite hopeful that that starts to encourage more women into the industry as well. The entrants we've looked at today are all playing an important role in building diversity within the engineering industry. Their work will be celebrated at the Engineering Matters Award Ceremony in London at the end of March. Engineering Matters is a production of Rebe Media. This episode was written and produced by Kiri J. and Nathan and hosted by me, Johnny Dowling, and by Rian Owen. Editing by Will North. Series supervision by John Young. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. And the man who judges all that we do is Rory Harris. And thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps on our website, engineeringmatters.rebe.media and on LinkedIn. <laughs>